think of this. Uh, if you had a child, and a lot of you probably do, right? But let's just say they were uh, seniors. They went to the middle school. They went to either Odessa High or Permian High. They're seniors. They're ready to graduate. But then they come back and said, well, your child is actually not going to graduate because they're still at a fifth grade level or even a second grade level. Um, or, yeah, we'll go ahead and promote them, but they still have the IQ of this. I mean, would we be satisfied parents with that? We probably wouldn't. We'd probably be upset. We'd probably be at the administration building saying, what's going on? You know, what have you been doing? And um, I think God gives us the same kind of charge as Christians to study the word. Paul gave Timothy the charge, study it, right? So that uh, you could be rightfully equipped as you're dividing the word of truth. And, um, you know, it, it's the same application like with working out. And with anything else, right, our work, we apply ourselves and we push ourselves. And sometimes we don't feel like doing it, but we do. Why? Because we want some kind of gain. Well, it's the same thing in the things of God. But I actually, I would have to say it's greater in the kingdom of God. Because the Bible says, what profit does physical uh, exercise do? It's only so much, right? But the spiritual exercise of our souls, right, to know more. And as we said on Wednesday, it's not to know more so that we can uh, walk around, you know, with a... Uh, with a with a prodding iron and telling everybody you're wrong and and this is this is right but it's actually an offensive weapon right so as we can progress forward and know what not to engage in or what not to just believe and what not so i would encourage you to come to to uh to deeper and we saw on wednesday right that as a matter of fact with the clarity of scripture there is no excuse right for nobody uh, you can be uneducated you cannot know how to read so many different things, uh, but God said, it's a charge. You learn it. Teach it to your children. And he said that to people who were uneducated, not very smart, but yet God expects that of them. So he expects it of us as Christians as well. Um, and it's not to say any one of us is going to go to hell because we don't. Right. But what it happens is that we're stifled. We're we're held back. Right. We're that 12th grader. That And I think there's a movie, right, where there's a big guy and he's in kindergarten. Uh, Adam Sandler, I don't know the name of the movie, but I just know a little bit, right? That's basically what happens in the spirit, right? I've said it before, 20-year-olds, but they're still operating at a, at a two-year-old. And, and it's nothing to really poke fun at, but God wants us to move out of that position, right? He rebuked the Hebrews and, and so many others. But with that being said, that pretty much covers the announcements. We're going to be in John chapter 12 if you want to open your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, uh, some people may like using their phone. We prefer the Bible, but again, you're not going to go to hell for using your phone. And in the same manner, it's also going to be up here on the screen. We're going to be covering verses 37 through 41. I think by the time this is all said and done, we're probably going to be pretty close to approaching a year that it took us to expound through the whole Gospel of John because we started in June, it's right around the corner, and we still have probably half of it to go, a little bit less than half. So, you know, we, we, uh, we want to dissect it. We want to get down to the bare bone, not leave any meat on there. So John chapter 12, we will begin in verse... 37. 
But although he had done many signs before them, they did not believe in him, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. God, this morning we ask that the fullness of the clarity, God, would be revealed to all of us, that our hearts would be broadened, that our knowledge would be sharpened, that our spirit would be edified, God, and encouraged, so that through it all you would be glorified, not just by the reading or the understanding of the word today, but God, through the application when we leave here. We want to know, we want to leave with a deeper understanding of what it is that your word is saying to us. This is your will, Father. So we ask you this morning to speak to us clearly, profoundly, indelibly, God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. So getting closer and closer to the end of the life of Jesus Christ, right? Uh, last week he made it clear and he said, my soul is troubled. I mean, he's feeling this wrath that's about to come upon him. And uh, we kind of tried to step in his shoes. How would we feel? Well, we feel trouble sometimes, right? But never, never to the extent that he felt troubled. I mean, he was just being, and it's like every day, every minute, every hour, that pressure is just coming upon him more and more. Yet he didn't become discouraged and turn away. He didn't become discouraged and say, well, I'm, I'm done with this or, you know, I'm, 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 I'm through but he continued, and that shows us that if he could do it, he resides inside of us. We can also push through the troubling times and the trying times, uh, be it whatever it may, right? Something that we brought upon ourselves or something that God has allowed for whatever reason, uh, we push through that situation uh, and God is glorified in it. Uh, because he lives in us, if in fact he does, uh, we have been regenerated, right? If in fact we are in Christ, because, you know, it, it's hard to ignore the fact that Christianity has become so complacent, it's become so elementary, if you will, right? It's become so um, watered down is not even the good word. The, the severity, the seriousness of Scripture, it, it's, not, it's, not take, it's taken for granted. You know, yesterday I was listening to Vance Havner, and he's an old evangelist, and just listening to his preaching, just listening to the preachers of old men of God, Martin Lloyd-Jones, and if you could hear George Whitfield and, and, uh, and, and, and John Wesley, the, you'd begin to realize the, the passion that was in their hearts. That passion doesn't exist anymore. I mean, they can sound pretty close, they can sound pretty good, but where is that seriousness? Where's that severity of Scripture, right? It's not that one is just trying to purposely beat the heart of a person, but it's the Word of God who pierces our souls, but how is it going to pierce if it's not coming effectively forth from the pulpit? 
It's something that is very, very important. I mean, I, I can't ignore it. I don't know if th that if you can, but it's something that we need to get back to. We've said before, if there's going to be revival, if there's going to be any kind of change whatsoever in this world, if anything is going to change in our lives, uh, we have to take it serious. But I think today we're going to see a big problem that stands between us. And this is a problem that stood between the Jews back then and the Pharisees. Because verse 37 says that although he did many miracles, they still didn't believe in him. I mean, why? You, ask, you have to ask yourself the question, that why would they not, after witnessing all of this that he did, why, why wouldn't they believe? I'm God. I'm going to resurrect myself. I'm the one who was prophesied to come. I am the Messiah. I am the anointed one. You want proof? I opened up the eyes of the blind. I've opened up deaf ears. I have cured people who have been physically ill. I've casted out demons, people who've had mental trauma all their life. I've made them well, right? As a matter of fact, the demon man that lived in the tombs, the Bible says that after he had his encounter with Jesus, they found him sitting at the feet of Jesus, fully clothed and in his right mind. So much so that the people were afraid and they said, just go away. Go away. Because they couldn't fathom it. They couldn't understand it. How, how can that happen? How can somebody be made well like that? Just, just go away. And sometimes today, there's been some of us who have been transformed. We've been healed and now we're fully clothed, right, with the righteousness of Christ. It doesn't mean clothes. It means the righteousness of Christ. We're clothed with it and we're in our right mind and we sit at the feet of Jesus. And now we want to talk about Jesus. We want to minister and portray Jesus. And they say, go away. Just, just go over there. They didn't want to believe. I mean, why does someone continue drowning their lives with alcohol after having seen all the chaos and catastrophe that it produces? Right? Drunk driving, they either kill themselves, they kill somebody, there is problems with the liver that come forth. They've seen the, the, the things that it produces, but they continue to drink still. Why? It's another question that baffles us because they do continue. So think of, there's two rectangular objects, okay? They both fit in the hand. They both enter into the body. And they both have grave warnings. What would you think they would be? Of course, we could stand here guessing all day long, right? But people flock to one and they hesitate to run to the other one. What would I be talking about? It's a pack of cigarettes and a Bible. They're both rectangular, right? They both fit in the palm of the hand. They both enter into our being. One of them has a grave warning that says, this may produce lung cancer. This may produce death. The other one says, this will give you life. But everybody runs to the other one. The one that says it will give you life, they don't want nothing to do with it. Why do people do that? Why? We're fixing to find out here in a little bit. 
Only one of them produces decay and death. The other one is going to give us eternal life. I mean, you would think that is, if I didn't say one's a cigarette and the other one's a Bible, right? Everybody would say, well, give me that one that gives life, right? Everybody would say it. But why is it when we hear what it is? I, I don't want that. Now, maybe you don't smoke, right? Maybe it's not the pack of cigarettes, but it could be square like a six pack or it could be square like a shape of a vehicle or anything else, right, that has to do not with Christ. Because those things, if we set our hope on those, they lead to death. Why would anyone not believe in the tragedies of smoking after the signs that they've produced in others? I've seen it. Met a real wonderful sister in the Lord on hospice. For three years she was here battling with COPD, emphysema. Why? Because she smoked. She said, of course, if I would have really paid attention and understood, I would have never picked up a cigarette. But sadly enough, in March will be a year that she went home to be with the Lord. But we see these things happening. People continue and they continue and they continue. They know that it produces cancer of the lungs, the throat, uh, the mouth. It goes all the way to death. Why would people do this? Why would people continue in foolishness? Why would they continue in this cycle? Well, the answer is because of a word that is clearly taught in the Bible, but clearly avoided in many places. And this is because of sin. This is what we would call the denial within. This is the thing that keeps us. The rejecting of good for that which is evil. The rejecting of doing what is right for that which is wrong. But it gets a little bit worse. Because see, sin as we understand it sometimes is it's something that we do. It's an action. Right? We got drunk. A uh, person fornicated or they did this or they did that. That's sin. They're sinful. They stole. They lied. They cheated. But what I would like us to understand this morning, that sin's not simply an action. It's not something that we partake in, but instead the Bible tells us that it's a state of being. It's something that we are. We're lost in sin. We're born in sin. And we continue to sin as we're in this body, but there is a part where sin overtakes us, and that's what keeps us from coming closer to God. Sin is what causes mankind not to have a full understanding, even though they know better. That's why people drink. That's why people smoke. That's why people continue in the foolishness, even though they have seen the result of what happens. Even though the woman sees that guy right there is not good for me. Because he doesn't follow God. He don't want nothing to do with God. Yeah, he does a little bit of, of uh, illegal stuff here and there. But he's really good looking. He's probably not good for me, but I like his eyes or what have you. And men do the same thing, right? That woman right there, she, yeah, she don't want nothing to do with God. She dresses very provocative, but I, I, I'm into her. And why do people enter into that toxic relationship knowing better beforehand? And that always ends up at the same spot, right? Why did I do it? Oh, my heart is broken. God, I fell and I broke my heart. It's because of sin. 
So we have to understand the reality of sin and its effects in our life. Remember Jesus, my heart is troubled because of sin. The sin that he was embracing that he didn't have to. So you say, wow, I want to know more about this, God. But it's the sin that keeps us from understanding fully. No, we, I heard you. I know what the Bible says, but to comprehend it, you don't understand it. You're not grasping it. Why? It's sin that is the barrier. It's sin that separates us from God. Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 through 2. The prophet Isaiah prophesying to Israel says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. It's not that God can't reach out and touch you. It's not that he's not listening to you. But because of the sin that lies between causes his face to be turned away from us. It's not because he's not being good or because he's just trying to be ugly. It's because of that sin that's a barrier between him and us. You could say that sin is the barbed wire fence that restrains one from crossing from unbelief to belief. I don't believe God. I don't understand. I want to. I want to go that way, but I can't because there's a barbed wire fence. That is sin. Jesus performed so many miracles before their eyes, yet they didn't believe. They saw it with their own eyes. They were great in quantity. I mean, there's so many. Later on, John's going to say, there's so many things that Jesus did that there's not enough books in the world that can contain what he did. Wow, what could that have been? Because we hold this thing right here that has many miracles, but yet there's not enough books to write down what he did. I sure would have loved to have walked with him to experience all of that. But yet, how did these people see and not believe? They were great in quality. I mean, big miracles. Not just something that you can make an excuse and say, well, that's, this is exactly what happened. Try to make an excuse, but how can somebody make uh, feed 2,000 people with a couple of loaves of bread? No, that is a sign. That is a miracle. That's a wonder. Opening blind eyes. Not just somebody who became blind, right? Because you can say, well, something happened within their body and it clicked. But people who were born blind, they had no remedy whatsoever. Which is a picture of us. We're born blind, blind in sin. Oh, we see, but yet we don't see. And they were great in time because not only during the time of Jesus, but from the very beginning, from the very beginning in Genesis 1, when it says the Lord said, be light and there was light. That is a miracle right there. He created everything uh, from the spoken breath of his mouth. And it was, it became. Those are the signs and the miracles and the wonders from the times of Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob, Joseph, and all the way down the line with Moses and David and, and you name it. So how many miracles have we witnessed in our life and we fully haven't believed? Because I know for a fact we can all look back at our lives and say, I see the fingerprint of God in my life. I didn't completely understand it at the time, but I do now. That was God. I know that I can. 
I should have been uh, probably incarcerated in the penitentiary. I probably should have been dead. I probably should have been hurt severely as a lot of you, right? But why not? Because the fingerprint of God in your life. And he's trying to say, come, right? But yet we didn't believe at that moment. So he says, Lord, who's believed our report? What report? The report of good news. The, the tidings, remember? What about the report of our doctrine? What we teach to people, what we talk to them concerning whatever matter it is in the church. That report that Isaiah was, was uh, proclaiming said, turn back, return to God, repent and believe. This report is unlike that cigarette box that says this may happen, but this report says this will happen. It's not a might, it's not an if, it's not a maybe, it will. You reject this, eternal damnation. So to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The power, the strength, and the might of God, to whom has it been revealed? Again, we've seen it. I mean, people that they were ill and they just, we prayed and they're better. I don't know how to explain it, but I know that they're better. Or relationships that people say there's no hope in them and then they're restored. Or individuals that say they're lost, they're, they're done with. Again, I was one of them. I myself lost hope in myself. I'm done. And then Behold, here comes God with a mighty sign, which is the greatest miracle in the world. It's called salvation. And it's the same with us, right? Why are we here? Because we desire to want to know more. And so as we, as we see, it's like, okay, God, open my eyes. Because if there's something that is in between me and you, I want to get rid of it so that I can reach you, God. I don't want this barbed wire fence no more. I don't want to cut a hole through the barbed wire fence, God. But I want the fence torn down. I want full access to you morning, day, and night. And I would say that God is ready to do that, but are you ready to be consistent in that area, right? Because a lot of times people might say, well, I'd just rather have a hole cut in it so I can go through whenever it is more convenient for me. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That's Isaiah 53. He's going back to Isaiah. We know Isaiah that talked about it a few weeks ago, the forbidden chapter in Israel. It stirs up all kinds of trouble because it talks about the suffering servant and it's all about Jesus Christ. And it says that there is no form or comeliness in him that we should desire him. There is nothing about him that we should want. But it's because of what he did that causes us to strive after him. But he's prophesying this to the people because Isaiah understands exactly What's going to happen? And he talks about this Christ that's going to be crucified and, and rejected. He says, but yet we esteemed him not. We didn't care for him. We didn't really want much to do with him. A lot like today, uh, the, the word of God is prophesied when people preach it, but yet people say, yeah, but that, I don't esteem him very high. That's, I'm, I'm good with just Sunday attendance. I don't want to go above and beyond because that's enough for me. Maybe because deep down inside we know that the Word of God will truly transform our lives and I'm not ready to let go of that favorite thing. See, God knows our hearts. And the problem is, is that we don't know our hearts. 
But when we realize that, that's the beginning to a major transformation in our lives. That's what we're all looking for. Now, let me tell you a little bit of Isaiah so that there can be some understanding because this uh, text that we're reading today has a lot to do with Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah, right, he lived in Jerusalem and spoke on behalf of God to the Israelites and to the Jews. The people in Jerusalem and Judah and mainly the leaders. He prophesied to them. It was a voice for God, and his message was judgment against Israel's covenant rebellion. And he would tell him it's going to come at a cost. You guys better get right with God is what he was saying. Now, it wasn't necessarily what he wanted to say, but that's what God was putting in his mouth. Say this to the people. Come back to me. Draw to me. Get right. If not, there is going to be a price to pay. The same way that when we preach the gospel today, we say, come to God. Get right with God, or there is going to be a price to pay. I can't tell you when it's going to be, right? The preacher can't tell you. But the Bible says is when you take your last breath or the Lord comes before that, that's when it's going to be time to pay the piper. He came against them for their idolatry, for their oppression of the poor and their injustice. Okay, they idolized so many things. There was oppression of the poor. Again, a simile of today's church. They idolized so many things. Yes, even buildings. Yes, even, uh, I don't even have to say it. You probably already know. And there is oppression, not of the physically poor, but of the spiritually poor. They're oppressing them. They're not really wanting to release to them the fullness of, of this word so that they can understand it for themselves. Let me keep them spiritually poor so that I can be their bank and they'll continue to come to me for deposits rather than going to God himself. So he confronts King Ahaz because Ahaz is the guy in charge and says, look, you, you uh, need to lead these people in the right direction or else the Assyrians are going to come in and they're going to take over you. And he reminds them of the covenant from Exodus 19 that God made with them when he pulled them out of, out of uh, bondage in Egypt. Do these things that I've commanded you. I released you from here. Exodus 19 verses 3 through 6 says, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's what Isaiah is reminding him about. Remember what God said. Obey him, his voice and his covenant, so that you can be that special treasure and people that he called you to be. If not, judgment is coming. And when he tells Ahaz, uh, actually, you are going to go down. But there's going to be a new king who's going to replace you. And this king is this one we hear of called Emmanuel. We only hear that name right about the month of December. But he said, there's coming one named Emmanuel. That's the king who is going to restore and bring us a new kingdom. Now he's prophesying about the future. But within that time, Babylon rises up and claims that its king is greater than all gods. Our king, Babylon. We are greater than everyone else. 
It almost sounds like what some people were making a certain candidate in office out to be. Oh, he's greater. He's greater. Oh, yeah, it's in the name of Jesus, right? But, but he's greater. You might not see it, but I did see it. And I think God saw it. But Babylon rises up, right? So now fear comes because we're greater than all of you. So what Israel's leaders did is they formed an alliance with Egypt for protection. Again, it kind of seems like us. Sometimes we form an alliance with the world to protect us rather than going to God himself. Because that's what they're doing. They're not going to God. And that's what Isaiah says. You need to repent and you need to trust God. Don't trust Egypt. They're going to fail you. Which, by the way, Egypt is a picture of the world in the Bible. So then comes in Hezekiah. King Hezekiah, he had a quick rise and a quick downfall. Because he thought he was slick and he formed an alliance with um, Babylon. Because let, if you can't beat them, join them. Let me make them my friends, right? But what he did is he showed them their weaknesses because he showed them all their treasury and he showed them everything that they had and he opened up his heart. Well, a hundred years later, Babylon came and took the Jews into exile. They overtook them. Exactly what the prophet Isaiah was telling them. This is what happens through all of Isaiah. It's many chapters, but this is basically what he's telling them. And of course, in 54, he says, to whom has the arm been revealed? Well, who else did to the Israelites? From the time of Egypt, all the way into the time where they stood there, God has showed many signs and miracles and wonders. Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of this land. In Deuteronomy chapter 4. And it's important that we get this because this is to whom the Lord, His arm has been revealed. Verse 29 of Deuteronomy chapter 4 says, But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find Him if you seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things come upon you in the latter days, when you turn to the Lord, your God, and obey his voice. So he's telling them, these, there's things that are going to happen in life. And when they happen, remember that. Remember who delivered you. Remember whose hand was strong upon your life. For the Lord, your God, is a merciful God. He will not forsake you nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers, which he swore to them. For ask now concerning the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth. And ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether any great thing like this happened or anything like it has been heard. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and live? Or did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by what? Trials? Signs, wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and what? An outstretched arm. They saw it from the very beginning. And by great terrors, according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. 
to who it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself, he's God. That there is none other besides him. Out of heaven, he will let you hear his voice, that he might instruct you on earth. He showed you his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. It pretty much repeats the same thing. But in verse 39, he says something that's really important. He says, therefore, know this day and consider it in your heart. Underline that in your Bible. Consider it in your heart that the Lord himself is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. You shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you to this day, that it may go well with you. Okay, that's important, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, that you may prolong your days in the land the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Considering it in our hearts, who God is. Again, how many times has the arm of the Lord been revealed to us with power and might? And yet we still continue in unbelief. It says, but they could not believe them. Why? Well, verse 40 says that he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. Right, this turn, uh, lest they should understand it, turn, it means to be converted, to repent, to turn back, and that I would heal them. Okay, this is a different word here, right? Last week we saw healed, and it was a Greek word, sozo. Uh, this week is a Greek word, iaomai, which means to be freed from the error of sins. Wait a minute, isn't it that barbed wire fence that's keeping us from going into belief? Yes, that we may be healed. That that i'aomai would knock down that fence and tear it away. We're free from our guilt and our sins. And now I can approach to the other side of faith. So you say, well, he's saying they can't believe, but we just read that says he's, he's blinding their eyes. He's, he's hardening them. So... What's the deal? What's, what's God doing, right? I mean, he's, he's blaming them, but yet it's saying that he's the one that's keeping them from that. The thing is, is that Israel had reached the point of no return by their resistance and unbelief. This caused inconsistency and confusion, even though they heard, but they did not understand. That's probably a, a point where the church is stuck at right now is there's a lot of hearing but not a lot of understanding now does God purposely harden their hearts no but he knows their hearts and he knows that they're not ready to come to faith they're not a hundred percent ready to surrender they're not a hundred percent ready to commit to him so same thing that happened with Pharaoh Pharaoh hardened his heart Pharaoh hardened his heart Pharaoh hardened his heart then the Lord said let me harden his heart and then after a while, he hardened it again. Pharaoh did. So then the Bible says, Pharaoh's heart became hard. 
That's just what it was now. That's what happens to us. Yeah, we're quick to look at the sinner that's out there, or maybe the sinner that lives in our home that, yeah, they need God, they don't go to church, but no, let's look here within, right? Let's look at the speck rather than the plank. Let's observe that because there's many who come and sit and they don't fully understand it. And might I say that that's one of the most dangerous things in the world is to have the clarity of Scripture presented before your eyes. There's an unwilling heart that is going to create a hardness. As a matter of fact, Peter said it'd be better off if you didn't even know at that point. It's important that we're willing to embrace because once we hear something, once we hear the gospel, once we hear the truth, once we hear the truth about sin and we go and we continue where we're at, then we're just being rebellious unto God. And Isaiah 59 says, I don't want no part of that. So now answers our question, why, God? Why haven't you answered? Why are you taking long, God? Oh, it's not that I can't. I can definitely reach out and touch you all the way from heaven. Oh, I can definitely hear you. But it's because of your iniquity that causes you to be separated. And the prophet says, how long, God? How long do you want me to do this? How long do you want me to continue to preach, but yet they're not listening? We all have the perfect example, most of us. Hopefully, there's some that don't, right? But they're called kids. And we tell them, and we tell them, and we tell them, and we tell them. And what do they do? It's like they're hearing, but they don't listen. They still do it, especially as they get older, and they get older. And it's like, what's the deal? They're not listening. It's one of the most, if it's one of the most grievous things for one of us as parents, how do you think God feels? But he says, how long, God, how long do you want me to do this? And he says, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant, until the houses are without a man and the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And he goes on to talk about the stump that's going to come back of Jesus Christ. But until the might and power of man is done away with, until we come to the end of ourselves, until we surrender and say, God, I can't take no more. You're God, right? Remember what we just read in Deuteronomy? You, God, and you're alone, God. Not me, not my thoughts and my desires. You alone are God. So I would say this morning that a word that I say a lot, and I love it, though it doesn't feel good, the brokenness. The brokenness, right? The brokenness of, of God. And I would say that the beauty of brokenness results in the diamond of purification. That purification then lusters and shines through something called salvation. The beauty of a diamond. And the denial within is underneath the ground of our hearts. And first, the ground must be broken in order that it may be dug out and uprooted. Is that what we got to do with weeds? Break that ground. Get those weeds out from the root. Why? Well, I can chop them down, but they're going to grow again. We have to have that sin uprooted from our heart, that thing that separates us from God. John Bunyan, many of you know him. He was 
great man of God, the days of the pilgrims, the days of the Puritans. It said that he wrote on the outside cover of his Bible that the Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. And that's true. Remember Isaiah again, separated from God. The Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. Then now you know why there's a lot of neglect when it comes to the reading of Scripture. Now you know why people aren't hungry to read the Word of God. It's not something that I'm thinking up for myself. It's something that the Bible tells us because there's a separation there of sin because there's not really much that separates us from turning on the clicking the remote to see a football game. There's no separation. There's no barbed wire fence there because there is a desire. But see, there can't be a desire when that sin is that barbed wire fence that's in the middle. It keeps us from reading. Who believed their report? Whose report? Well, the prophets, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way to the apostles. If it's rejected, it's not because they cannot accept it. And it's, it's because they will not accept it. There's no desire. That's what we need on our part. The Bible is clear that what is not always clear is the report. Now, the Bible itself is true. Always true. Amen? Amen. Okay, but the report is not always clear. Well, then you say, how? Because the report has, got, has been wrong. Remember what I said earlier about where everything's been just lessened down. The standards have been lowered. So uh, then we could ask today, who has believed our report? Not theirs, not the prophets, not Isaac, uh, Jacob, not the apostles. Who has believed our report? The report that we give about what? About the gospel, about Jesus Christ. A lot of people won't believe it. Why? Well, maybe because they don't see consistency in our lives. Well, I hear what they say, but they're not consistent themselves with what they say. What about if they can't believe because of our accuracy? Right? That's what we're trying to do on Wednesdays is get a little bit of accuracy. But if we can't have accuracy, then how can they truly believe our report? As I shared with somebody, what, uh, let's say someone who wasn't from here came and visited and afterwards said, hey, I, I know you have a Cheddar's. I'd like to go to Cheddar's afterward. Yeah, just uh, go down 8th Street and, and uh, turn left on Grandview and, and you're going to look for 42nd Street. Hook a ride and, and you'll find it down the street. But not knowing that on Grandview overnight, there just became a, a huge, tremendous pothole that if you, if you drive in there, you're done for. I didn't know that. So we gave them something that was inaccurate. But how terrible would we feel when we turn on the news and say this person that, man, I directed them that way. That's our accuracy with the gospel, uh, how we're going to lead people, how we're going to answer questions, how we're, we're going to drive them in life. And how, what about our convictions? Who's going to believe our report if our convictions aren't correct? Right? I mean, how foolish would it look for me to try to be here preaching with a, with, with a can of Bud Light right here? 
Yeah, you'd be laughing. This guy's a, this guy's a clown. I ain't going to listen to him. I would hope that nobody would be sitting in here by that point. Right? But see, we have to take those things to, to heart. We have to take them seriously because then nobody is going to believe our report. See, we've changed the report of the gospel, the report of all the church fathers, of all the prophets and everyone else, and we've made it our report. Now, this is what God says. Now, this is who God is. This is how God operates. God acts different than he did in the Old Testament. And we change it in so many, we change the report so many ways. I mean, how would it sound if the doctor said you have stage four cancer? Um, you probably can take care of it if you go get chemotherapy. And here comes Adam. You know, let me change this report and just say that uh, they don't have cancer. They're good. You wouldn't appreciate that. I want to know what I have so that I can go get it treated so that I can live. But I'm changing the report and it's causing people to die. And we have to be wise, Jesus said, wise as serpents and gentle as doves to be able to recognize, no, that's not the gospel. And it's not always with words, but the people that are closest to us, they're the ones who are witnessing that. Or are they believing the report? Are they witnessing the miracles and the signs and, and the wonders that God has done in our life through our trials and everything else? The human heart's already skeptical. But our helping through a wrong report is only going to harden their hearts. Mind you, it's going to be charged on our accounts and we have to give an answer for it. It's the denial within. That's why they wouldn't believe. That's why many today are not going to believe either. Because there is a denial within. It's called sin. And don't be deceived. One can absolutely draw closer in the church attendance. You can draw closer in your church giving financially. You can even uh, draw closer in serving. But if the denial within is never addressed, you're never going to come closer to God. You'll get closer to everything else. You're going to get closer to brothers and sisters, and you're going to know them well. You'll know their family. You will know everything about the church atmosphere, but you'll never be able to draw close to God because of that denial within that's called sin. And I don't know about you, but I'll trade all of that that I just said to be able to just draw closer to God. Here, God, you can have the chairs. I would like to keep my brethren, but even if I have to give them up, God, I just want you. I don't want anything else but to please you. That's what it's about, to draw closer to God. Now, this is important because if that's you, if that's me this morning that's not drawing closer to God, there is a problem, and the problem is the denial within because these Jews, from when they were children, they were brought up in the way of the Lord. Oh, it was it, it was the Hebrew uh, kids' church, if you will. Oh, but they knew it. They probably knew it better than what we know uh, Scripture right now. But they still had a denial within. And that was the denial of Jesus. You know, I'm not, a, I'm not much of a mystic, okay? A mystic is someone who tries to uh, reveal, some, claim to have some kind of knowledge through some mysterious happening, Right? I'm not, I'm not necessarily a mystic. I don't just look at everything and think, okay, that was, 
that was the devil or that was God. Uh, we have to be keen and wise and realize, okay, some things just happen and some things can be because God does operate in that way. God does uh, show up in dreams and in, and in visions. But again, uh, when somebody speaks a dream or a vision, the first thing I do is look at their life and you begin to just uh, look gets them my right account it, reckon it. Now nah, it doesn't even add up with their life. So I, you know what, let me just put it in file 13. But there is some that you say, well, it lines up. It could probably very well be true. Well, God will reveal it. But, you know, I had a dream on Monday evening or Monday night. And in this dream, I saw a, a, a person who was attempting to try to feed a dog. And I couldn't see the person, of course. I could only see the hands of this person trying to feed this dog. And he's trying to put the food in a wooden bowl, right? But... All of a sudden, the person realizes the wooden bowl's not, it's not stable, it's crooked. So I can't put food in, so let me try to get it down, and it couldn't level it out. So all of a sudden, out from under the bowl, hops out a little frog that was underneath the ground. When the frog came out, the bowl was able to be solid and established. And then this hand began to chase away the frog with, a gushing water holes, just chased it away. I didn't pay much attention to it. But as I begin to think about it, we are that dog. Not in a bad sense, right? Not in an ugly sense, but everything, uh, symbolism. But we are that dog, right? We are the Gentiles, and the Gentiles were considered dogs. They weren't considered very good. We are those dogs, but what else do dogs do? Dogs have the tendency to go back to their own vomit, as ugly as it may sound. But we are those dogs. and See, we a dog is dependent on something. A dog depends on the master or a dog depends on the dumpsters to be open so that they can find food if nobody feeds them. But apparently this hand was trying to feed the dog. But this hand realizes there's a problem here. We have to straighten it out. But then the other problem was the frog underneath the ground. Well, the bowl would be our inner person. Our convictions, right? Jesus said, what did he tell the Pharisees? You worry about the outside of the dish, outside of the bowl. Well, clean the inside of the bowl. That's the inside. That's what we really have inside of our hearts. And of course, we all know that frogs, that's the sin that's buried underneath the ground of our heart. Remember the frogs, the plagues with Egypt? Oh, they, they love frogs, but then all of a sudden, there's so many of them. Get rid of these frogs. That's what sin does to it. At first, we, we love it. We like it. And then it's like, oh, what do I do now? I'm engulfed with this sin. And of course, that hand, that's the hand of God. This is that hand, that mighty arm that's been revealed, that, that's trying to show himself. And the water that chases away this frog is the only thing that can get rid of sin of our lives. It is the water of God's Holy Spirit that can chase it away. See, God's not simply wanting to gratify us, but he desires to satisfy us. He doesn't want to just give us what feels good or what we like, but he wants to give us that which is going to make us complete and whole. He wants to satisfy us enough. I have enough, right? My cup runs over. I don't need any more. I'm good with what I have. 
to fulfill our needs completely. He's desiring to feed us. He's desiring to feed us with the manna of God's word, but our li- he can't. Why? Because our life is not established. It's not fixed. It's, it's wobbly. It's weebly. Why? Because of the denial within that sin that is lingering there. And a lot of times that sin hides really nice where we don't even know that it's there. But how do I know that it's there? Well, because, yeah, I don't have joy in reading the Bible. I don't desire to read the Bible. I don't desire to pray. I don't desire to do anything else other than go to church and pay my tithes. And, and that, that's it. Other than that, leave me alone. I've done my part. That's how you can know that there is a denial within. It's important to grasp that our life is never going to be balanced. It's never going to be established. It's never going to be fixed until we deal with the denial within. So how will a person believe the report, God's report? Because we can't always control the heart of the hearer, but we can definitely control ours. And I'll go back to Isaiah chapter 6. This is how a person believes the report. Remember, Isaiah means who God has saved. That's what it means. That should be you and me. We should be Isaiah. But Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand a live, a, a live coal which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. And your sin is purged. That's how people believe our report. That's how first we believe the report. Remember at the beginning when I said consider it in your heart? That's exactly what Isaiah did. He went into the temple and he considered who God really is. And then God broadened his understanding. And he saw God. Remember Jesus uh, last week? He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. Yeah, he was talking about the cross. But see, the cross is to exalt him. It's to glorify him. It's to esteem him real greatly. But see, we lift him up in our hearts the way we think about him. The way we consider who he is and what he says. And when that happens, then we begin to see the true glory of God. We begin to see the beauty of God. And then we begin to see the terrible wretchedness of who we are and we say basically woe to me I'm undone I'm not worthy I am a man of unclean lips I am a woman of unclean lips I know the thoughts that go through this mind of mine I know the things that occur in this heart and I don't even deserve to stand before this glorious God right because sometimes I don't even want to say holy 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 is the Lord God Almighty 
They didn't say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They knew and they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who is and is to come. Because he was considered. When we consider God, when we think about who he is and his glorious majesty, when we reckon it in our minds, then he, we will begin to see him high and lifted up. High, where he belongs. I would say that it's then that the denial within will become an acceptance without. Without what? Without worry, without fear, without doubt, without regret. Because those are the things that we face. Because maybe we're not dealing with the sin of drinking or partying or all those things, but maybe we deal with the sin of worry, fear, doubt. Regret. And those are the things that are becoming the barbed wire fence that are keeping us. Oh, yeah, I've seen the miracles that he did. He did a miracle in her life and in her life and his life. But I, I see it. But there's a barbed wire fence. I can't I can't cross over. Now, of course, we know that ultimately Jesus is the one who takes away that sin. Right, Isaiah? Though your sins are as scarlet, I will make you white as snow. And he purifies us in his righteousness. But what about afterwards? Can that sin return? Oh yeah, frogs like to go hide in ground, underneath the ground. That's what they do. They're pests. They're nothing to be... I mean, the, the, the Egyptians loved them. Not me. Whether it's real or whether we're talking about sin, right? Things give you warts and everything else. We're only going to be able to, verse 41, verse 41 of John chapter 12 says, These things Isaiah said when? When he saw his glory and spoke of him. You want to be bold, you want to be consistent in the things of God. We have to see his glory, then we can speak of him. We have to see him for who he is. It's only then that we'll be able to speak with authority and, com and confidence. When we get to this point, seeing the Lord high and lifted up. It's only then that now you're going to say, I want to read my word because I can't put this thing down. I want to follow after God. I want to do more for God. I want to pursue after him more. Hey, you think you can serve at the church tonight? I'm sorry. I'm having some serious devotional time with God right now. I, I would love to. And the person on the other line should say, oh, yeah, don't let us bother you. You continue what you're doing. That's more important than serving. And I think we saw that with Mary and Martha because Martha was serving, but Mary was at the feet of Jesus, and that's what he desires. It's probably not the expected uh, title or, or, or subject to talk about right here when we're in the middle of John, but it's sin. That's why they couldn't believe. And there's a lot of them that are still, they think they're deceived. Oh, I believe, but they really haven't. How do we know the evidence of our life is going to tell if we really have? God's desiring to feed us. He's desiring to feed us with his word. But it can't happen until we become established. And we can't become established until we get rid of that denial within. Right? First, being clothed in his righteousness. After that, we have to continue. Why did he tell the lady, go 
sin no more. Lest the worst, worst thing happen to you. Was he talking about uh, losing your salvation and going to hell? I don't think so. But when we read the Bible, the Bible has a lot to say about consequences. And one of those consequences sometimes is an early death. I'll leave that for you to think about as you go home. But it's something to really consider throughout this week. So that we can begin to see the Lord high and lifted up. And if we see him like that, let's continue. As we sing our lives and live them, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God, I know that this subject isn't the most favorite subject. It's not the subject that everyone is privy to clap hands and, and rejoice at. But it's of importance. Because it is because of sin, God, that you were troubled to the point of weariness. You were heavy. And it is because of sin that you died, God, for us, a worthless people, a people who were not worthy of it, God, but you still chose to die for us. Now, far be it from us that we would think any less of you than to pursue after you, God, with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. But God, we know that sometimes the, the enemy comes deceivingly, Lord, to usher in these sins, these frogs, God, that begin to reside underneath the ground of our hearts. Lord, we ask you this morning to search our hearts to see if there's any unclean way within us. Anything that is not of you, anything that does not belong there, God, because we desire to be established in you, God. We desire to be established for you, for your glory, God. We want to see you high and lifted up, God. We want to see the train of your robe, your glory, your might, your strength, filling the temple of our bodies, God, the temple of our minds, the temple of our souls. But it's not going to happen, God, if there is a denial in between, God. Knock down, tear down the barbed wire fence, God, that we may cross from unbelief to belief. We don't want to be like the former Pharisees. They looked like they had it on point. They were so close, but yet so far, God. Speaking to the Messiah himself, but they missed it. May that never be us, God. If, if the word stood for them, they most definitely stand for us because your word says that now as sons and daughters, we have been grafted into the tree of Israel. May we never take those admonishments lightly, God. But Lord, we ask you to reveal it to us this morning. 